Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast, live from San Jose, California. I'm your co-host, Guru Ramprakash. And just before I introduce my other co-hosts, on behalf of the entire Ballistic Podcast, I'd like to wish you guys uh, a very happy holidays, uh, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. And uh, yeah, with that, I hope the next year is better than what, what this year was for you guys. It was probably very rough, but we pulled through, and hopefully next year has better things upcoming for all of us. Uh, so for, with that, I'd like to introduce my two co-hosts for today, one of whom is in San Jose, California, my good friend, Varun Aurora. Varun, how are you doing? Happy holidays, my man. Merry Christmas, Guru. Merry Christmas, Vikram, and a Happy New Year in advance. And a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody around the world, anybody who's listening to this. Uh, 2020 was probably not the best year for everybody, but I mean, I thought it was pretty decent for me. You know, some cool stuff happened. And hopefully your 2021s will be a lot better and more prosperous uh, come, you know, in one week. So that should be fun. Um, but I'm looking forward to talking basketball for awesome, the last awesome. time this year. I'm looking forward to talking basketball with you too, Baron. And uh, our other co-host, he's in Monterey, California. If you've been listening to our podcast, you probably know him very well. He's Vikram Kanth. Vikram, welcome back to the podcast, and happy holidays to you as well. Yeah, absolutely, Guru Varun. Happy holidays to you guys, your families. Happy holidays to all of our listeners. Uh, I definitely second and echo your warm regards to all of our listeners, and hopefully 2021 is a much better year uh, than this one. It's been rather tumultuous. But some good, like Varun said, some good stuff has happened, uh, a lot of which has to do with being able to continue talking sports uh, with you guys and the fact that the NBA has continued to play with them with the restart and then, of course, the bubble and then now with the start of the NBA season. It's actually been a really nice thing to have to to take that away, uh, to take away from what's going on in I don't want to say in real life because, of course, basketball is real life, but to take away from the day-to-day grind and have something really positive to look at with basketball. So I'm just grateful for the sport. I'm grateful for the NBA. And I'm, of course, grateful for your guys' companionship through this difficult year. So thank you, guys. Absolutely, absolutely, Vikram. And with, uh, without a doubt, uh, I mean, uh, this podcast recording would not have been possible without, without Anchor, without our, our tech, uh, technology advancements that we made in recording podcasts, and that too, recording podcasts for free. We would not have been able to do this without uh, technological advancements like uh, like that and also Anchor for hosting our podcast and, and give us, giving us an avenue to record remotely while sitting in our homes. Uh, we definitely do appreciate it. So thank you. And with that, uh, we would like to, you know, start to talk basketball. So uh, the NBA has uh, started up the regular season this week uh, with opening day being December 22nd. Uh, all NBA teams have played at least two games so far, and uh, we obviously have some initial first reactions, first thoughts that come to mind with regards to all the teams and where they stand. Of course, it's only been two games, but it's never too early to give uh, give our opinion on where we think things stand and what this means for the, the rest of the season. So, um, Varun, let's start off with you. So what are some initial thoughts for you? Uh, after watching the first two games that take place this season? 
Well, I'll start off with the Celtics because they're my team. I mean, just being a Celtics fan, I watched their game versus the Bucks, and I, I definitely did notice a lack of Kemba Walker, a lack of a third scoring option. And um, even if Kemba comes back, I'm a little worried about their scoring depth going forward. So I'd, I'd like to see that improve during the season, maybe through a trade or some player stepping up like Jeff Teague did. And then the second game, the Nets. I mean, that's something we got to talk about because the Nets are looking really good through two games. They've they've won them blowouts. Kevin Durant looks exactly like he did before his Achilles tear, which is pretty scary given that uh, – you know, the age-old uh, quote is that you don't come back the same way from an Achilles tear, but he looks exactly like the same. And if Kyrie can stay healthy, then that's a fantastic team you got there. But I'm still a little skeptical about Kyrie uh, staying healthy. So we'll see how that progresses as the season goes on. But right now, the Nets look really good. And uh, and I, I think Cleveland, surprisingly, the Cavaliers are looking pretty good through two games. Now, granted, they played against two not very good teams. But their core players are looking really good. Uh, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, they look pretty good as a duo. And then their rookie, Isaac Okoro, is looking good. So I like Cleveland, too, as a surprise team coming out of the East and making the playoffs. Okay, so the Cleveland Cavaliers, I I guess we'll see, right? The two-game sample sizes is definitely interesting in some ways. We have uh, some teams that we expected to be very good, uh, like the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, starting up 0 and 2, and then you have teams like Cleveland starting up 2 and 0. So, so, so definitely some, uh, some. Um, there's, there's definitely more season to play. But you know, uh, definitely when it, when a team like Cleveland starts up 2 and 0, you definitely feel good for for them and and their confidence because they need all of it being a young team. Uh, Bikram, how about you? What are your some of your first reactions uh, uh, regarding this NBA season? Man. I will just start with it's been a lot of fun. That's my biggest takeaway. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm really grateful to have NBA basketball. You have no idea. Well, maybe you guys do, but you have no idea how good it felt to watch tip off during that first game uh, during during NBA tip off the season tip off. That was just an amazing feeling to to watch that. And that level of excitement was great. And I think a lot of fans, especially people who are listening to our podcast, probably can empathize with that. Uh, that being said, a couple of my takeaways. Let me just respond quickly to, to what Varun said. Uh, the Cavaliers, that's an interesting take. Come see me in like 10 games is what I would say with that. Uh, with the Celtics and the Nets, I actually think the Celtics, I think they really miss Gordon Hayward. Uh, that's my big thing with them. Is I, I really think that they're going to miss Gordon Hayward this year. Uh, I thought Jeff Teague in the first game was you know on fire. But is that what his level of play in that first game is just not sustainable. So I really think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, as as talented and as and as amazing as they have been for the Celtics, uh, they're a little bit overmatched in terms of doing everything, and they really need another release valve. Hopefully, Kemba Walker can come back healthy, but he brings his own set of defensive problems as well. So I'm really interested to see what the Celtics look like, uh, let's say 20 to 30 games from now, and then going into the playoffs. I completely echo the Nets point. The Nets look amazing. I'm super scared. We've talked a lot about Kevin Durant, but Kyrie Irving is on a tear. I think people forgot that he quietly had a really amazing season last year statistically, uh, but he does not seem to have lost anything and is just torching. I mean, torching teams. Uh, the other takeaways I have is the Warriors are 
probably in a little bit of trouble. We'll talk about them later in this episode. Probably the only bright light for them is uh, the fact that James Wiseman looks pretty darn good and uh, looks like the best player in the draft so far. Uh, the other thing that was a little bit worrying for me is Giannis does not look to have taken a step, in my opinion, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he hasn't really expanded his game, and I don't really see anything different about what he's doing. And he had a pretty pedestrian showing against the Warriors as well. Uh, so those are some of my takeaways. Uh, the other stuff I'd say is I think Miami might have gotten it right again with Precious Achua. He looks like another band out there. So, I mean, the Heat look pretty good, and, and I'm scared to see what they look like in the playoffs. And uh, the Lakers look pretty darn good as well. Just trying to cover a lot of teams here. I got a lot of a lot of takeaways, but where do you guys want to start? Oh with? no, I, absolutely. I think I mean, it's I mean there have been a lot of games that have that have taken place, and I mean you all have opinions on 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 everything that has happened. Uh, just taking a different turn on this, like my my first takeaways were uh, first of all, like having no fans in the arena has definitely been an adjustment for me. Uh, I know I I definitely watched the bubble and. Having having no fans in the arena is, is not new to me from that perspective, but just like watching these huge arenas and having no fans and having uh, having a lot of a lot of background noise or delayed delayed fake reactions, it's it's weird to me, and I can't wait to see actual fans back in back in the game. I think it'll add a lot of energy. I I, I definitely feed off that energy when I watch the games. Um, it's it, it's one of the more entertaining parts, and I'm I'm definitely missing missing that a lot, but. Uh, I know I do know I do recognize the times that we live in and um, uh, I want to I want to I want to say that you know it's great to have NBA basketball while the coronavirus epidemic pandemic my excuse me is going on that that was one takeaway the other takeaway is the uh, the commentators commenting from uh, uh, from outside of the arena with regards to this like at their homes if you saw like the ESPN uh, broadcast of the entire Christmas Day games, and even the TNT broadcast of the opening night games, uh, they um, uh, they were a bit delayed in, in terms of you know the actual reactions to the shots, and that was a little weird uh, to to realize. I uh, I'm fully uh, cognizant of the fact that they're not in the arena and they're watching on TV just like the rest of us, but and, but you know the the timing is a little bit off. But and that that's just another another thing I've noticed. But overall, glad to have NBA basketball back. Uh, regarding the actual teams, uh, you guys hit the nail on the head. The Nets look really really good right now, and you know, uh, and they're doing this while Kyrie and KD are averaging uh, just under thirty minutes a game. And if they're able to keep this up, and and they're able to play play Kyrie and KD at around thirty to thirty five minutes a game, and play a guy like. Um, Karis Levert for 25 minutes a game, and then play guys like Landry Shamit and and, um, and um, what, what, what's his name, Joe Harris, like 20 to 25 minutes. Then that that is really what is going to carry that team forward. Their depth is their strength, and they 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 have the star power to go along with that depth. So that that is really what is uh, scary for them come playoff time if they're able to stay healthy. Again, Varun alluded to Kyrie's injury issues. I think playing Kyrie uh, limited minutes or uh, shortened minutes than a starter would usually play is, is the way to go there. Uh, and uh, um, Vikram alluded to it. The Warriors look like, and they're in a little bit of trouble here, given the way the first two games have gone. 
albeit they have played those first two games against very tough opponents, but you would like to see more competitive games uh, out of them. Uh, other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's really, um, uh, I, I don't really have any, any initial thoughts on the other teams. I haven't really watched the, the, the games uh, live and, uh, and in action. I probably need to watch a couple more games and have just have like a, a bigger sample size in order for me to draw, uh, draw drastic, uh, conclusions, but yeah, there's there are a lot of places to start. Um, what do you think of uh, what do you think of the Western Conference? Do you do you think it's uh, a little more uh, clear who the better teams are, or is it still uh, murky murky to you guys? Vikram, we'll start with you. Uh, I think it's pretty clear who the good teams are and who the bad teams are. Although I will say. I have been genuinely impressed by what the Sacramento Kings have done, for example. They look legit. And I think Buddy Heald being happy that Bogdanovich is gone and starting is a big part of that. But, like, they look good. They won tonight against the Phoenix Suns in a, in a pretty close game. De'Aaron Fox looked great. They got great minutes from, like, Hassan Whiteside. Rashawn Holmes beast-moded in there in the, on the offensive glass. I mean – that team's hustling, and they're 2-0 and right now to start the season. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but certainly they're going to be in competition there. I just think the West is really deep, you know, 1-11 to or so. And, let's, I mean, it depends on how much we want to, like, count out the Warriors, for example. But I do think the upper echelon of the West is pretty set uh, in terms of the Lakers look pretty dominant. The Clippers look pretty darn good as well. Uh, the Jazz have looked pretty good. I've thought the Nuggets have looked pretty good too, even though, you know, the Clippers have beat both them and the Lakers. I mean, I think the good teams in the West have shown that they're the good teams, if that makes sense. But we'll see whether that continues. And speaking of questionable teams being 2-0, the Timberwolves are also 2-0, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, Varun, what about you? What do you think uh, about the Western Conference to you? Is it is it more clear in your mind? Is it more murky in your mind? What, what, what's going through your head? Right. I was actually going to add that the Wolves are, I mean, it's still too early to say, but the Wolves have gotten off to a good start, 2-0. I like the way they've played. Uh, Anthony Edwards has played pretty good, actually, the first two games. Definitely better than Andrew Wiggins has ever played as, in a, as a Minnesota Timberwolf. Sorry. Cold-blooded, bro. You know, he's, he's played pretty darn good in two games. And, and it's still, once again, too early to say. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes forward. But they've looked good. And another thing I want to add, actually, is that I, I think – the start of the season has shown that inside the NBA is still the best sports show by far of any sports show there is. I mean, it's so entertaining to watch those guys, Shaq, Chuck, Kenny, Ernie. And I don't know if you guys saw um, them interviewing KD after the, the Nets won the Warriors. Did you guys see yeah, that? I did, I did watch, watch the yeah, yeah, interview yes, yes. where, yeah. Yeah, there, there looked like there was some heat between Chuck and KD. I, I know Chuck has said some stuff about KD before. So people were speculating that it was about Kyrie, that he made some comments about Kyrie and KD being a good friend of Kyrie, didn't like that. And that's why he didn't want to answer uh, Chuck's questions. But I, I like the fact that, you know, inside the NBA is back on. That's a really fun show to watch. So other than that, the Western Conference, I mean, still too early to say in my opinion, but the Wolves are – Probably the more surprising team with those so, teams so, so, Speaking of the Inside the NBA interviews, did you guys happen to uh, catch the uh, Inside the NBA interview with Paul George in the game right after that? 
Oh my God, that was yeah. so uncomfortable. Like Charles Barkley went right, right for the jugular Paul George instead of talking about special privileges they received. And Paul... <laughs> That's what I love about him, man. He's straight. He's a straight Yo, gunner. Did he you right hear, the that, uh, did you hear that Charles Barkley put a hundred grand on the Trailblazers to win the NBA title on Wait, Fandle? that was real? I, I, I thought it was for the West. I, I, okay, interesting. I thought it was to come out of the West, or was it to win the finals? Uh, I had heard I, I heard win the finals on an, on another podcast, but I could totally be wrong. Okay, I thought he was just kidding. could be wrong. He put a okay, hundred grand on like actually. He wasn't kidding. No, he wasn't kidding. Oh, he wow. wasn't kidding. I know he was serious, but I, I didn't know it was to win the finals. I thought it was just to win the West, but okay, that's that's quite a bet. Yo, he might. I mean, if he wins that bet, geez, is he? Uh, yo, he's gonna be richer. He, he can retire. I mean. Uh, <laughs> He could probably uh, already recover. You, what do you think the What do you think the odds are for the Blazers winning the title? Like a plus ten thousand? It, it'd be around there. Something like that, right? Like pretty I, low. I, yeah, I think I mean, it was uh, for them to make the finals. I, 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 but but yeah, it could, it could definitely be could definitely be wrong there. But still, damn, that's a lot of money to put on a on a brand new team. That's just a, just just getting together. Yeah. What do you what do you think about um, the the new teams that are getting together? We we talked about Brooklyn, right? The, obviously, uh, new players in the mix for them. Brand new coach, coaching staff, and everything. They seem to have been putting it together pretty pretty well. But then on the other side, you have teams like the Warriors, who are in a similar situation, but can't seem to be in sync on the court. What do you guys think of that lack of training camp? No summer league, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, shortened preseason. How do you think it's affecting teams? Varun, we'll start with you. I mean, it's like, I think Vikram alluded to Giannis not really showing any growth in this game, and I think that's a big issue with a lot of players. They just can't really, they haven't progressed the way they normally would year by year, and that's an issue. Like Luka Doncic, I think I would say the same thing for him too, and so definitely the lack of training camp hurts a lot in that sense, in my opinion, so... Um, but other than that, I, I think, um, you know, a lot of the additions, the free agent additions that we talked about, a lot of them are, you know, like if you look at Gordon Hayward and Charlotte. I don't think that's been, I think so far it's still too early to say, but it's been okay. You know, Charlotte has been 0-2. They ha- they've, they've kind of been pretty up and down, in my opinion. Uh, Terry Rozier looked pretty good, though, in game one, the first oh, game yeah. he played. Uh, LaMelo Ball played a lot better in the second game, though. Like in the first game, he was pretty bad. Second game, he was a lot better. Um so, and Detroit, Jeremy Grant, he's actually playing pretty well. Not too bad. I mean, I know that was a signing that not a lot of people like, but he's doing pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually liked him fine. I just thought it wasn't the right signing for that team in particular. But yeah, I mean, he's pretty good. You know, I, I've always liked Jeremy Grant, even when he, back in the day when he was in OKC. But I mean, geez. As far as what you were talking about, Guru, about how is the shortened training camp and that kind of thing. I think it's really affected some of these teams with a lot of new players. I'm going to go back to the Warriors. I think they could have, even though they had their cool mini camp type thing, I think they could have really benefited from having more of the, uh, more time to get through the offensive structure and things like that. Uh, But more to the point, there's there's other, one other thing I want to talk about briefly, and that's the effect I think COVID is going to have on a lot of these rosters. And you see it, of course, with the, the Rockets losing half of their roster to COVID. But more importantly, players like 
Draymond Green and James Wiseman being unavailable for part of training camp and all of these additional issues just preventing teams from being particularly effective at the beginning of the season. And I don't think it's uh, much of a coincidence that uh, a lot of teams that were in the bubble are absolutely wrecking teams that were outside the bubble, not just because the teams outside the bubble were typically worse, but also because of, of this idea that we've talked about as well, just that the amount of time off between playing NBA basketball to the restart of the season can be pretty difficult for players to overcome. So overall, that's where I'm at so far with the, with where the season is. And I think the, the lack of a training camp has, in a sense, helped the teams that did not make the playoffs, like the Cavaliers, for example, because their young players have looked pretty good in two games so far, like Darius Garland, who's looked really good. Uh, Colin Sexton, he's looking pretty good. So uh, I think it has benefited some of the non-playoff teams like Cleveland, who are playing better than they are than they were expecting. Yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag, a mixed bag of results. I think it's like a combination of uh, of new players coming in versus did you make the bubble? Uh, did you make the bubble playoffs or not? Uh, how long did you play in the bubble? Did you play too long? Did you play? Did you play not enough? There's a lot of combination of facts that that go into that. The Nets are a particularly interesting team, team because they are they are one of the teams who who did make the bubble, but no one significant played in it. In fact, um, I mean they had they had a different coach in the bubble. Jacques Juan was the coach there. Obviously, he's still with the Nets as an assistant, but it was mostly their backup players who were playing in the bubble. And quite frankly, their backup players were playing quite quite well. But uh, uh, with regards to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, neither of those two played in in the bubble. So uh, it was very hard to draw conclusions on the Nets based upon that. But they look guns a blazing and uh, they, they look like a, they look like a, quite frankly, an elite team. Uh, just going back to what um, uh, Vikram alluded to in one of his answers, uh, uh, one of the issues uh, that are, that has uh, hit us early in the season is the Houston Rockets COVID situation. And uh, this all started actually uh, with uh, something that was unrelated to the COVID situation, that, and that is James Harden uh, still spending time in strip clubs, uh, especially right before the season started. He was seen pictured at a at a strip club with a briefcase. I don't know what was in the briefcase. I don't know. But uh, he, the fact was he was spending time with other people outside of uh, outside of the Houston Rockets facility without wearing a mask. And obviously, we can, we can dig deep into it. We can see uh, that James Harden was probably doing this on, on purpose to try and facilitate a, a trade uh, sooner rather than later. But then what happened soon uh, after that incident was being investigated was that the Houston Rockets were found to have uh, close contacts with uh, with COVID, and and namely uh, these close contacts happened with pretty significant players, including Demarcus Cousins, uh, John Wall, Eric Gordon, and uh, another player, Mason Jones. Uh, but yeah, that's three significant players that are out of your rotation, and they have been made to quarantine uh, until Wednesday of next week. So the Houston Rockets get none of those players back. Um, they, without any of those guys, they were still able to take the uh, Portland Trailblazers into overtime, losing by two points. Obviously, James Harden, 15 pounds overweight, came in and put up 44 and 17. Uh, you, you, you would uh, not expect anything less. But yeah, just talk about this situation, uh, Varun. What, like, what does this mean for the for the Rockets? First of all, and in general, uh, should players who don't have enough players to play in the game 
because of coronavirus situations be forced to forfeit or uh, should postponement still be very much part of the discussion? So uh, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think Hard's getting a lot of unnecessary hate um, because uh, a lot of this is not necessarily his fault. He has made some questionable choices, but I mean, let's look at, first of all, the, the first party he went to before training camp started, which I think was in Atlanta. Um, all right, going to a strip club is your personal choice, whatever. You know, a lot of people do it. All right, I'm not going to comment on that. But he, he goes to a strip club. It's open wherever it is, Atlanta, I think. Okay, so the city has allowed it to stay open and no mask inside. I don't know if that's a policy or if they just didn't do it at the time. I don't know. But um, I think that's more an issue with the city of Atlanta, if you have a problem with that, than with James Harden doing it. Now, he did, you know, I think I agree with you here, Guru, that he, I think he did purposely do it because it was pretty close to training camp opening. And I'm sure, you know, uh, it, it might have been to kind of facilitate or force a trade, possibly. But um, he came back to the Rockets facility and the Rockets did not find him, even though he was late for training camp. That might have been part of his privilege, you know, superstar privileges. But I think he's getting a lot of unnecessary hate in the last two, three weeks because of his trade offer and that article that came out about his, you know, his privileges and this what he can do, uh, you know, regarding coming late and stuff like that. Um, regarding your bigger question about whether they should postpone or forfeit games, I think since it's early on the season, I think it's okay to postpone games. But, you know, as it gets closer to the end of the season, then I think that becomes a valid question about should the team forfeit a game if they can't keep it together during that time? I think as it gets closer to playoff time, teams have probably got to be a little bit more restrictive as to where their players are going, if they can do that. I don't know if they have the means to do that, but if they can do that, they should be more restrictive when you get closer to playoff time. But right now I'd say postponement is probably the better option. Vikram, same question to you. Okay, so I'm going to disagree with Varun here on the whole James Harden thing. Not that I don't agree with you on the strip clubs are a choice thing. It's more that it's in violation of what the NBA has put out. And at the end of the day, I don't care who the one player is. No one player is above what the league is. And James Harden might be making $40 million, $50 million a year, but there are a lot of players in the league that are not. And if people start to pull this kind of crap because he's doing it, it can really jeopardize a lot of people's careers. And I feel like he's putting himself before he's putting not just his teammates, and that's the problem in and of itself, but also a lot of a lot of the league, a lot of whom do not make max contract amounts. So I think there's a bigger issue at play here. And I thought uh, what Adam Silver said, that we hope to see teams kind of resolve this privately, not publicly. Like, let's not get this twisted. Stars have been making trade requests for decades. The fact that this can't be can't be handled in a mature manner is really problematic. And I have some serious problems with James Harden for doing this because I think it's unprofessional. And at the end of the day, the NBA is still a job. You know, these athletes put hours and hours and hours and put days, years, months of their lives to honing their craft. It's a real job and it's extremely difficult. And I just think what James Harden is doing is unprofessional. Now to the second point about, you know, should people have to forfeit or be postponed? I think it has to do a lot with the manner of how COVID was contracted, actually. Uh, but given the fact that I don't think it's really realistic to adjudicate that properly, 
Uh, I'm more of the – I'm in agreement with Varun on the – while it's early, it's probably better to just postpone games and try to adjust the schedule. And I think that if – I just don't think that there's really a point in forfeiting because it kind of – it destroys the standing to have some longer-reaching effects for the draft, that kind of thing. I think postponement or even cancellation of the game is a better policy in that regard rather than a forfeit that artificially inflates uh, a record for a particular team. So that's just my personal opinion as far as that goes. So to clarify the Harden thing, um, I was actually talking about the, I agree with you in the sense that I think you might've been referring to the second incident where he was at the Rockets facility and then he went to a club to attend a friend's party. And that I agree with you. He clearly violated the rules knowingly, knowingly uh, i'm talking about the one previously where before training camp started he was at the club in atlanta or something and then um i think he because of him being there he had to quarantine and so he was late to training camp and you know that's his job whatever you know his job is to be ready right, for training camp. right exactly i agree i agree with you 100 having said that the rockets did not do anything about it right they didn't do anything about it so the Rockets did not enforce it. Maybe it's part of the privilege thing that, okay, whatever, fine. Harden can be late. He can come whenever he wants. It's fine as long as he shows up. Maybe that's part of the deal. But the Rockets did not do their part. And I put that more on the Rockets than James Harden. Because if Harden is not doing his responsibilities, the Rockets have got to do something about it. And they're not doing it. So I put that blame on the Rockets there. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Rockets should do more. I'm in full agreement with you there. But the idea that He's an adult. He needs to make good decisions. And he simply is not making good decisions as far as it goes with, I mean, like, I just, I think it's like completely detrimental, not just to the Rockets, but like to even his own trade prospects, right? Like there are a lot of teams that are wary of trading for James Harden because of antics like this. They don't know whether he's going to be a great fit in the locker room. He's pushed out every other star that he's ever played with, whether it be Chris Paul or Dwight Howard or Russell Westbrook. I mean, the list goes on and on there. Uh, his basketball fit with a lot of players is not great. Maybe it has to do with the privileges that you're talking about. But, I mean, yeah, the Rockets could do more. But at the same time, they gain nothing by being openly antagonistic with their star. I mean, that's the age of player empowerment that we're in now. And I'm not saying player empowerment is a bad thing. I'm saying James Harden and his behavior – actually endanger player empowerment because they set people against that because you cannot look at his behavior and say that this is appropriate in any way shape or form so i think that's the problem with this is yeah the rockets could do better yeah the league could come and do more than a fifty thousand dollar fine but ultimately it really like this this structure depends on people taking this stuff seriously and the fact that james harden isn't has can have long-term repercussions for the league and I think that's why it's really concerning and worrying to me. But I mean, I agree with you, you know, like things like, yeah, he can go to the strip club. Like he can, you know, that's his choice and all that kind of stuff. And their policies are their policies. Like that stuff's all fine. I just think that at some point you have to be accountable. And I don't feel like he is being accountable to his teammates. And yeah, I, I'm with you as well with the Rockets should do better as well. And I agree with you that, Harden has got to make better decisions, no doubt about it. 100% agree with you there. But my thing is the Rockets are enabling him to make the bad decisions. They are not 
putting the foot down and saying, you can't do this. There's a fine or there's a penalty for doing this. And they're not doing that. They're letting him get away with it. It's, 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 I mean, going back to that article that Tim McMahon wrote, he did, he, he, uh, I think he compared the relationship with the Rockets and Harden to a parent and a child. And the parent kept spoiling the child. And, you know, this is what happens, right? And so the Rockets have let this happen, in my opinion. They have not done anything about it. They've let Harden stamp over them all these years. And this is just an example of how the Rockets have dealt with Harden. That's my opinion. I, I, but I'm in full agreement with you in the sense that Harden has got to make better personal decisions. But at the same time, the Rockets have let him make these decisions. 100% on the Rockets have made or helped him make that decision. I just think like at some point, dude's a grown man. You got to do your business. Seriously, right? Like this is a career. It's a job. And I don't care what privileges you have. You need to show up to work ready to perform. And I will give this to James Harden. Whether he's, whether he's had a long night, an early morning or anything like that, he comes out and balls as evidenced by today where he had like some insane stat line, right? I mean, he can show up in the worst possible way and still show out. And so I, I give him a lot of credit for him as a basketball player on the court. I just think that he is severely inhibiting his own cause with his behavior. But yeah, totally with you on that, bro. Yeah. So yeah, just go. I mean, going back, like excellent discussion, guys. I think you know, you, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything that that you guys have stated so far regarding whether it's regarding the Rockets or James Harden's behavior. I think both of them are right, quite quite frankly. And like, listen, everybody knew even before the pandemic that James Harden was a party animal. He loved to go to strip clubs. He uh, it was been it's been posted on Instagram and all the social media sites for eternity. We've known this. And we never cared about it before because it was never part of the NBA protocol before. Players could spend their free time doing what they want, what they wanted to do as long as it wasn't illegal, right? And, and James Harden spent time in strip clubs and, and no one ever gave a fuss about it except like when, when joking about James Harden, right? But when, I mean, we were talking about the current times that, that we're in. I, I think James Harden clearly knows that he... He cannot be at, at that strip club right now, or he cannot he cannot be at any social events. But yet he, he's putting himself in that situation, and he's putting himself in that situation, and he is inviting photos to get be taken of him, videos to be taken of him, because he wants the Rockets and everybody in the league to know, hey, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm going to make things as uncomfortable as possible for you know the people in Houston and, and people in the league office to try and, and make a decision on me, but I... You know, if, if I make things uncomfortable, the, the, the better chances I'll get traded because a trade will be uh, will be some somewhat of a resolution to the, to the entire situation, which is what, what I want to create. I want to create a problem for which the resolution is 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 a trade. So I, I think that's what James Harden is trying to do. He, he knows that uh, the Rockets are probably receiving trade offers right now that they are, are not not very happy with or they don't want to trade Harden. And he's all. All he's trying to do is, is is really force the issue in, in in this case, right? Now he he got he got he got pictured at that strip club, or whatever. And then he went out and played today. He looked about fifteen pounds overweight, and he still and he still balled out. We we know James Harden is one of the best offensive players uh, of of our time, right? This is this is a known fact again. Uh, but 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 then again, obviously professionalism is professionalism, and like if 
if he cannot maintain that professionalism, no team is going to want to trade for him. In fact, I think his trade value has gone down since training camp. Now, this game might change things. It may change that calculus a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, but you know, it's, uh, it, it is what it is. And this is what the league has unfortunately become. I was more disappointed, quite, quite frankly, with Adam Silver's statements on James Harden. Uh, saying that, you know, it's Christmas or it, this is his first defense. First of all, it wasn't his first defense. It was technically his second defense when you count his training camp, his pre-training camp incident, right? And and the fact that you're not going to hold your players accountable, you're going to choose who you want to hold accountable at any given time. It's really unfair to every uh, to all the other players in the league who, who, who are not making quite the money that James Harden's making or do not have quite the fame that James Harden has do not have quite the privilege that James Harden has as Vikram alluded to earlier. So that's, I mean, that, that's just my, my take on it. Like, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want James Harden to make things uncomfortable, but I know exactly why he's doing it. And uh, as long as the NBA does not punish him for it, I mean, he's going to keep doing it. Absolutely. He, yeah. I think Adam Silver clarified that actually um, the, the issue issue before training camp was not considered an offense because it happened before the season. So the the uh, the part where he went to a friend's party uh, during the training camp, that was considered his first offense. So that's why they find him. That's why their first fine was more generous on the more generous side, not on the more punishable side. But yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, though, like I, I think. Uh, you know, Harden's got to get his act together. And, and I still think his trade value is pretty good as displayed by his game that he had today. I mean, it, it, I just want to see him on a team that does not cave to all of his demands, right? Like, you know, he wanted Kevin McHale fired. The Rockets said, yes, my Lord, let's get him out. You know, Chris Paul, yes, my Lord, no problem. Dwight Howard, yes, my Lord, no problem. You know, I'd like to see him on a team that doesn't cave into all these demands and kind of puts their foot down or a team where there's like a leadership structure where he doesn't have to take on the same responsibilities as like a LeBron James, right? Uh, so I'd like to see him in that setting because I think he'll do well. But I agree with you guys in the sense that his personal, uh, I think his his personal choices have been questionable and he is, he is an adult. He's like 30 years old. He's got to take better responsibility over what he does. You know, I, I fully agree with you. I would just say like player empowerment can be a double-edged sword in this sense. But I mean, like, I think it's generally a positive, but being the man, and I, I say this with the Kawhi Leonard situation too, and the Paul George situation too with privileges, getting those privileges comes at a cost, right? You have, with it's the same with great power comes great responsibility thing. Look at how well LeBron uses his influence. Look at how well he empowers the people around him in his organizations too. Does he get special privileges? Heck yeah, he does. But there are ways to do this better. And like, I think we're all in agreement with, with James Harden, just doing things that have really inhibited his success overall and his ability to get out of Houston. Uh, with Rune, the only thing I'll quibble with you is I don't think he's going to be better outside of Houston. I think, in fact, I actually think the reason he is the way he is is because I think he is the player he is. And I'm not sure that going anywhere else where he's not the man or he dominate, doesn't dominate the ball, I don't think he's going to be able to be successful in that role. Or he'll be able to be successful because he's an amazing basketball player, but I don't think he's going to have this level of success at all uh, on another team. So I'm curious to see what happens in this situation. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, sorry. I mean, sorry for the awkward pause there, but uh, I, I, absolutely. I think uh, we'll see how things go. And it's, it's going to be <laughs> definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, like w- with regards to the James Harden mo- uh, news, apparently he's added two more teams to his list uh, of, of, of uh, teams that he would accept a trade to uh, Portland and, and Boston. So um, that, that adds to the list that includes uh, Milwaukee, Brooklyn and, and Philly apparently. But again, he's an under contract and it's not his choice where he goes at the end of the day. Uh, the Rockets can can trade him wherever they wherever they please, or they uh, they don't have to trade him. It's it's completely uh, up to them, uh, quite frankly. So uh, just to I mean just to change the topic a, a little bit. So um, I want I wanted to change to uh, to uh, Giannis and his free throw shooting. So uh, um, Varun alluded to this, and Vikram, uh, you you also uh, you also talked about this uh, at the at the very top, and that. And that is that Giannis taking a step up after last season. Obviously, it, it wasn't a very long break to you know improve your game the way that you think a player should. Uh, but uh, the thing that happened in the Milwaukee-Boston game was uh, that Giannis was uh, at the free throw line, down down by one. He got to the free throw line for first off, but uh, at the end of the game, down by two points, he made the first one, and, and then he he missed the second one. Uh, costing the the uh, Milwaukee Bucks a chance to tie the game and take the game into overtime, and who knows what could have happened then. And then the first half of the Warriors Bucks game, he continued his struggles at the free throw line. Uh, he more or less struggled from three and, and also struggled from from mid range as well. So is this limitation in Giannis's game going to come back to bite him in the, at the worst time? Um, and uh, uh, and also uh, does a player need some sort of a jump shot to be to be effective and actually be uh, a sort of winning player, not only during the regular season, but also like into the playoffs. Uh, Vikram, we'll start, we'll start off with you with that question. I mean, I think the more, like in general, the more versatile you are, the better. Uh, I think the problem for Giannis is just the fact that his particular brand of scoring can be schemed against, as we saw with the Miami Heat. I don't think he can really be stopped one-on-one necessarily. Like, there are some good matchups for him. I thought Bam Adebayo plays him okay. I think that somebody like Anthony Davis plays him okay as well. But just in general, his brand of offense, the way he scores, where he has to score from, you can take that away with a combination of players and scheme. And then the rest of your players have to step up. I think the Bucks did a good job of picking up Drew Holiday, but ultimately that counts on the rest of your team to pick that up. So he singularly cannot be, in my opinion, dominant enough to win a championship himself. Uh, and I contrast this with, with probably his closest comparison, which is Shaq. I think Shaq actually had some other elements to his game, like his ability to hit a fadeaway, his ability. I think he was more dominant in the post than Giannis is. And I mean, I, I would say that, that Giannis is like the closest thing to Shaq we have at this, at this moment uh, and has more versatility in terms of being able to, A, defensively on the perimeter, uh, but also in terms of his offensive game, being able to handle the ball and, and act on the perimeter. But that being said, I just think this is more a matter of utilizing Giannis in a more effective way 
rather than him developing like a three-point shot, which I, I just don't think is necessarily going to happen. I think that he needs to add something that he can do when he's like 10 to 15 feet away from the basket just to remove the part where he cannot score unless it's a dunk or a layup right at the rim. That makes it very difficult unless every other person on your team is an excellent shooter that can also defend. So I just think the versatility of him as a player really makes makes it difficult to win with. I contrast that with somebody like Kevin Durant, who even now, coming off an Achilles, looks like he can anchor your offense and be a, a tangible part of your defense. He locked up Jason Tatum at points in that game against the Celtics. But his offensive versatility allows him to fit in seamlessly in a lot of schemes and a lot of systems and really make trouble for opposing teams. I think Giannis can be schemed against ultimately, and that's the bottom line for this. I don't think it's really possible to win a championship in that way. Yeah, to start off with uh, his missed free throw, um, I'm not going to look too much into it because it was one game. However, I will say that these are kind of the moments that add to your ability to close out games. It adds to your public perception of how good of a closer you are. So it is one game. It is a regular season, but, you know, Giannis should have made that free throw, in my opinion. Um, I agree with Vikram, and I think we talked about it in the previous episode that Giannis, I don't think he needs to develop a three-point shot, but he should refine his interior game a lot more. Like, I think he'd be a great post-up player. In fact, I mean, given Giannis's height and his long wingspan, I mean, imagine if he had like a Dirk fadeaway, right? He'd be unstoppable with that kind of a move, but he doesn't have those moves. And I, I think, and I put Joel Embiid here too. Joel Embiid is dominant inside he should just be shooting inside shots he should not be going up to the three-point line and shooting those shots so i think if Giannis can refine his interior game uh he's a transcendent talent you don't see people like him a whole lot so i think if he can he's going to be unstoppable he's still unstoppable he's still dominant but he really should refine his interior game no doubt Precise and the thing, the thing I'm really confused about Giannis and the way the Bucks use him is that why, why don't the the Bucks play him out of the post more often? I know he has the ability to handle the ball, and definitely in spurts you want him bringing the ball down the court and making plays for other people. No question, the the fact that you need to build a wall around him definitely means that some someone is definitely open, and by moving the ball, you're going to get it to that open man, and it definitely worked in some instances against the Warriors and also also against the Celtics. He's just that good. He's, he's, he's that dominant of a player to, to attract that much attention. But why don't they play him out of the post more? It, it, sort, of, it, it sort of boggles my mind, especially in the half court. You know, you, you have an advantage there in the post, like a, a, a small baby hook, um, a, a fadeaway jumper from the from the paint are a couple of things that I think Giannis could add to his game to make him make him a little more spot stoppable in that in that in the half court because quite frankly the transition defense is really really improving in and around the NBA given the given the advent of the three point shot given how fast fast paced the league is now you know you you cannot you cannot be only able to score in in a full court game right in a fast paced game seven seconds or less offense you should be able to score in the half court as well if you truly want to be a, a dominant player in the league. And I think if you're talking about Giannis scoring in the half court, it has to be, it has to be out of the post. It cannot be him standing at the three point line and driving and then for, uh, forcing the issue or having to kick it out to shoot. Because quite frankly, the fouls that are called in the regular season that he gets to the line on, they're not called in the playoffs that often. And I just wanted to hear you guys take on that. 
Uh, Varun, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, regarding the post-up, I think he just doesn't have a lot of moves. So I've, I've seen him post-up before, and he, he, he can't do those hook shots. He can't do those fadeaways. He's good at driving by, but, you know, you can, you, can, you can scheme that, right? You can double that. You can do a lot of things with that. I think he's just got to develop more moves in the post. And, and I think you should really look at Dirk and Hakeem. Like, take the footwork of a Hakeem. Look at Dirk's moves. I mean, the, like, the fadeaway Dirk move is just unstoppable. Dirk is like seven feet. He's, he doesn't have very long arms, but because he's seven feet and he fades away and his release is so high, you can't block it. It's either he makes it or he doesn't. And so Giannis should learn from those kind of moves. Giannis is long. So if he tries a Dirk fadeaway, if he can master it or perfect it, I mean, it's he'll be unstoppable that way. And so I think he should really look at those kinds of players and pick up those moves because then then it'll be even harder than it already is to guard Giannis. I mean, there's a reason he doesn't have those moves because those moves are really hard to get. I mean, it's hard to say because, like, yes, it would be amazing for Giannis to have a Dirk fadeaway. I'm not sure that that's really the direction he needs to go, though. I'm not even necessarily sure that posting him up is, is really the way to go either. I actually just think playing him as the role man in a pick and roll probably makes just as much sense, particularly because he's got pretty good passing vision. Uh, I mean, like it's a lot of little things that I think make a difference for Giannis. I think, for example, rather than trying to give him Hakeem footwork or a Dirk fadeaway, really working on his free throw percentage is probably the biggest thing he can do to help his game overall, because that makes people more worried to foul him. So like it's things like that. I think that are, that will make him take a even bigger step forward, honestly, rather than like concentrating on him getting a baby hook or anything like that. Why baby hook when he could just dunk on a dude, honestly, like that's for me, that's where I am with Giannis is that rather than having him try to add an arsenal of moves, I think it's about putting him in better positions to succeed. Uh, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit with the Warriors, with the way that their offense is. Their offense just needs to be Steph Curry pick and roll because they can't do their free movement motion offense like Curl likes. I think it's a very similar situation with Giannis in that we need him to offensively be the role man on the pick and roll, handle the ball a little bit less so that his teammates can put him in a better position to score, more easily get buckets, prevent the defense from forming the wall in the first place. I think that's more effective. And then work on something like get your free throw percentage up 15, 20%, which I know is a lot, but Chris Weber did it. So can Giannis. And that's got to be his focus. Uh, lastly, I would say even like a floater, I think would be more functionally useful for him than, you know, like a Dirk fadeaway. I just don't think that the number of possessions a game that he would get that off, make it worth it for him to work on that skill. So that's just where I'm kind of going with this in terms of what makes the most sense for his possession breakdown types. I would agree with the free throws, no doubt, but I think given where he plays, given that he's attacking inside, I think it's just too natural for him not to develop some kind of post moves like a hook shot or, you know, I mean, the Dirk fadeaway, I agree. I do agree that it is hard to develop, but I mean, if he even perfects that to like a 50% 
thing. I mean, he could he could he could be really really good in the post. So I think just because his game is going inside, it he should develop some kind of post moves. It's just too natural not to develop those when your game is driving in all the time. Sure, sure, but sure. I, I I agree that free throw, no doubt, is probably his biggest priority. I do agree that if he can raise his free throw percentage, then no doubt that would be a huge boon to his game. Yeah, but let me let me go. When I say that, the reason I say that is you're talking like 50% off that dark fadeaway. Anthony Davis is amazing from mid-range and only – and like we're, we're going crazy because he made like 50 to 60% in the playoffs and is still continuing that now. I think it would be amazing for a Giannis to be able to get to 30% on that move. And I'm saying if you're looking at points per possession for a post-up, he's better off doing some drop-step dunk action, maybe getting fouled, than he is trying to do – a fadeaway and I mean his fadeaway is actually pretty decent now but I mean I just think like from a like a points per show or like a weighted points per possession type thing in the post that move's not necessarily helpful the baby hook stuff he's got to get that kind of that's just better touch around the rim when he's as close as he is but I'm not really worried about him like three to five feet away from the basket I'm worried about him when he's forced out seven to ten feet that's the area I think he needs to improve in because if he doesn't He's just not going to be able to score at the efficiency that he needs to in a playoff situation. And that's going to lead to a lot of misses. That's going to lead to other teams getting out in transition. And that's going to lead to the offense for his team not being as good as it needs to be in order to win series. But, I mean, I agree with you. Like, in terms of the, the small touch shots in the post, yeah, he's got it. There's some improvement for him to be able to do there as well. Absolutely, guys. Absolutely. I think I, I think we all made some like, you know, uh, some uh, uh, explanations of how, as to how to uh, improve Gian, Giannis's game. But at the end of the day, if, if Giannis is who, who Giannis is, he's the guy who got the max contract. Right. It's uh, it's up to him in order to, to improve and also to bring the Bucks up to a championship level. I think I think that is very important. So uh, the, the, the last thing I, I wanted to, to talk about today is, uh, is the Golden State Warriors. And uh, the, re- the reason why I want to talk about them is, is not just because um, the, they uh, played two games and they lost two games. Uh, they probably had the worst two-game set of any of the teams in the NBA. And that's saying a lot, given, you know, given the Warriors' championship uh, accolades of a couple of years ago, given that that they have Steph Curry, and, and given that they were supposed to be a playoff team, um, and, and coming coming into this year, at least we we all thought that they would be in that conversation. But uh, they've been the second worst offensive team this year, and they've been the worst defensive team this year, and that's that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, Thirty two and a half point differential, uh, and it's clear that although it's the first two games of the season, and we're probably uh, overreacting to uh, a lot of what we've seen, and they were against tough teams, uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, probably, probably two of the top teams in the NBA. Uh, it, it is clear to see that if you're losing by an average of 30 points, something is definitely wrong, right? And, and it's either your team is not good enough, or there are some major adjustments that there are to make. So, um, Vikram, I know you've seen the Warriors uh, in the first two game, games of the year. Obviously, James Wiseman is has been a bright spot, but he hasn't played very much. And uh, when the ball is in his hands, he's uh, he he is scoring, but it's quite frankly he's not in a position to to score very very often. So um, uh, 
Uh, Vikram, what, what do the Warriors need to do to try and stem this tide and, and make this more uh, of an anomaly and less of a trend? Uh, they are going to be quite limited with regards to this, man. Uh, I don't think they have great ways to improve at the moment outside of Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins actually like playing offense, frankly. Like, they can't be this bad the entire season is where I think this goes. That being said, they need to simplify their offense. It's that simple. I know Steve Kerr loves his motion. I know he loves a lot of this type of play, but this team is just not there right now. Like they're not really able to do what they need to with regards to some of that intelligent back cutting, some of that look for Steph Curry coming off ball the screen. Like we know what the play is. We've been watching the Warriors, at least you and me, Guru. We've been watching the Warriors for like the last seven or eight years, right? And we know the play where Steph Curry screens for somebody else, gets the screen, comes around is ready for a, an open three, he's open. They're just not getting him the ball. And you can see Ubre is like the, the prime culprit of this where, like, Steph Curry will make this play. He's wide open waiting for a pass, and the ball never gets to him. They need to simplify the offense because, the as Steph Curry said, the collective IQ is a little low at the moment. And so in order to overcome that, I think they need a very steady diet of Steph Curry, James Wiseman, Steph Curry, the big pick and roll. It's got to be that. I don't think they have any other options. Now, the problem with that is you don't really have great spacing around them. So that is going to that means that like Michael Mulder and Damian Lee need to be in more. Uh, but also, James Wiseman, like many rookie big men, is not a particularly good screener. And that's an area where he needs to make significant improvements in as quickly as possible if he wants to be a more productive portion of this offense. The better screen he can set for Steph, the more likely he is to get an alley-oop for a dunk. And that's one thing we know he can do. He's got, he has amazing vertical ability and amazing instincts offensively, I think, in terms of being in the right spot. His hands are a little iffy, and I haven't really seen him do anything one-handed yet. All of his dunks have been two-handed slams, so uh, that's one thing I'd like to see from him moving forward. I'm not sure if it's an issue that he has or that he's just been in positions to dunk everything two-handed so far, but like those are just some of my observations with him. Now, granted, his shooting has been unreal and there's absolutely no way he's going to keep it up uh, from three. Like, I don't think he's an 80% three-point shooter, obviously. Uh, but lastly, Steph Curry just needs to play better also. Uh, his shooting, I understand that he's not being put into great positions to succeed, but he's somebody who's a former – he's the only unanimous MVP in NBA history. He needs to play better. Uh, and he also just needs to put the team on his back because, like, there's no other option. But what he's saying in terms of he needs to get more – like, he didn't say it, but he kind of said it, in that he just needs to get the ball is probably the correct thing for this team. Uh, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins don't need to be shooting 15 times a game each. Did Steph really say that about the collective IQ thing? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I, I think what would really help is having Draymond back on the floor just as an on-court communicator because if one thing – if there's one thing I've seen about Draymond a lot is that he's very vocal on the court uh, about where to go, what to do, what sets to play. So I think that will help a lot for the Warriors. Uh, frankly, I have not watched either of those two games. I saw the scores. I didn't even want to see the highlights, frankly, but – 
I, I'm a big rooter of Steph Curry. I hope he plays really well, and I hope he puts up like 50 in the next game and comes back. That would be fun to watch. Dude, but otherwise, I'm uh, so with you. I, I think Draymond, yeah, just having that on-court communicator with Draymond, I think will will help a lot. And having that mindset back, that winning mindset, well, I think it'll make a difference going forward. I don't know when he's going to play again, but it'll help. Yeah, I mean, they, with regards to Draymond coming back, they've talked about him coming back uh, as early as tomorrow for, for 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 the Bulls game. So hopefully that that is the uh, that is the Warriors' first opportunity they have to to win a game and get in the W column. Um, I I do agree. I do agree. Getting Draymond back will improve the IQ of the team just because he'll tell the he'll tell the players where to be on on a given on a given play and what to do. I, I think uh, I, I step as far as communication on the court. He doesn't really he doesn't really talk to players on the court as much as Draymond does. Like Draymond will let you know if you're making a mistake. He'll let Kelly Uber know when he's like when he's wrong, right? And that's that that's part of the thing. He'll let Andrew Wiggins know when he's not playing well, and I, I'm that's sort of the thing the team needs, I guess at this at this point. But uh, I also agree with Vikram that there needs to be simplification of the offense. Uh, the the uh, free will um, uh, feel, feeling tri- triangle offense where uh, it's it's very it, you don't really call play it's really what, what the, you take what the defense gives you is reserved for smarter people with with, with uh, better bat- basketball IQ we saw this a lot with Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, and Draymond Green, uh, even Clay Thompson to a certain extent. Like the, the these guys were all really, really smart players, and we underestimate that fact. And that's that's really why they were able to make this offense work for so long because they, because they were so cerebral and they uh, they made really made it look easy. But it, the fact is that it's very difficult for especially new players to understand. And what happens when you get a a, a couple of players like Uber and Wiggins who don't quite understand the offense? You get lost on offense a lot. And when Steph is coming off of those screens, he's he's wide open. You, you're not getting him the ball. And uh, just adding fuel to the fire, they're not hitting their own shots when they're open as well. So uh, it just uh, it's just it's just going to shorten up the spacing that that Steph and the others have going forward, because uh, it, the spacing on the court is dependent on whether Uber and Wiggins are hitting their shots. If they're not hitting their shots, teams will be more than happy to sag off of him and you know help on Curry. Curry, uh, for the most part, has been facing two or three defenders whenever he's driving through the lane. And yeah, that's that's tough for any player to to try and and ward off. And the thing, I mean, the pick and roll offense is obviously it's 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 pretty simple, straightforward. It's it's something that a lot of these players can can under understand. And and James Wiseman definitely has potential as a screen setter. I I really I really do think so, given the size that he that he poses, and you know, given the his ability to roll through him, he's definitely very very athletic. And I think uh, Vikram, given watching his high school and college, definitely his ability to finish with one hand has been has been shown. I think he, he does have that ability. He's just not had the opportunity to show you. I think James Wiseman is the real deal. And the more the Warriors feature him in the offense in some way, the, the better his development will, will grow moving forward. And I think the better the team will go moving forward if he improves. So and that's, that's really key for the Warriors moving forward. Losing by 30 is not an issue. I mean, it's not an issue you want to have. And, you know, it's it, it definitely means something is terribly wrong. And who, who knows? Maybe Kelly Oubre continues to go over whatever throughout the rest of the season and the Warriors lose a bunch of games and they find themselves in the lottery. And, they, and if that's the case, that's the case with, with this team. But, you know, you just I mean, I just hope things are things are better given the amount of money that Joe Lincoln has spent 
trying to put this put this team together, and you at least like to see the team uh, make the playoffs, given given the amount of money that has been spent. Yeah, I I fully feel you on all of those points. Uh, I hope you're right on the Wiseman catching thing and the Wiseman dunking more than two handed thing. Uh, that's that was something that concerned me. I've watched some of. I mean, like, there's not a lot of tape for him to watch, and I watched a little bit of some of like the Hoop Summit stuff and some of the uh, some of like obviously whatever tape he had coming in because there was only like 40 minutes of it, so that was pretty easy to watch of his college tape. Uh, I mean, I think he's been better than advertised quite significantly offensively. Defensively, I think that there are going to be some serious issues. I don't think his defensive instincts are as good as I would have hoped. Uh, But I think that there's definitely room for him to improve. And I'm really excited to see him take some of these significant steps forward. So, like, here's to hoping that and hoping that Joe Lacob does not have an aneurysm. Uh, during this portion of time, because I I would be pretty disappointed right now with my team if I were him. Uh, So I do feel for him in that respect. Uh, Overall, though, you're right that Steph Curry is seeing two or three defenders, and there's a lot of excuses for the Warriors right now. Uh, But, you know, we have an opportunity to see them against the team tomorrow in the Chicago Bulls and then the Detroit Pistons a couple days after that. Uh, If they can't win both of those games, I think it's time to hit the panic button a little bit uh, for them. I do think, and I'm definitely with Varun on the whole Draymond Green will help a lot defensively point in terms of with the communication, the the connectiveness, being able to tell Wiseman and just other players where to be. I think offensively he's going to help a lot because I think it's uh, nobody on this team except Steph Curry can pass. I think Brad Wanamaker has like, what is it, like four or five total assists? And he's, or two assists, something crazy like that, but like nobody else is assisting on this team besides Steph Curry. So, I mean, they got a lot of problems and they're they're looking shaky to start the season. Maroon, any last thoughts? Um, no, I'm just looking forward to watching Steph Curry ball out. I hope he scores 50 in the next five games and kicks ass. That's all I want to see. That's Heck all yeah, I want to see from the Warriors. Steph Curry kicking ass and him winning the MVP despite them being the worst team in the league. That would be that would be uh, <laughs> that would be that would be new. I, I love the uh, the yeah. worst team in the league idea here. <laughs> oh wait, I forgot. There's the Knicks. I forgot. Never mind. Not the worst. Maybe the second worst. Jeez, second worst. Man, we're really uh. Yeah. Giving some short strips to the, uh, the Warriors over constant, here. Even in 2020, if there's one constant, is that the Knicks still suck. The one constant every year. Man. Not in taxes. Gotta love the Knicks, yeah. man. Yep, yep, yep. Death, taxes, and the Knicks not being great. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, with that, obviously, we gave, we've given a ton of thoughts. On, you know, what's oh, up? wait. And a shout out to Trey Young. He's playing really well. Shout out to the Hawks. They're doing really oh, well yeah. in two games. Okay, you're, I'm done. Any any thoughts on Trey Young? Yeah, man, Hawks? definitely good point. Uh, I have thought that they're they. I think my concerns with them of all are still defensive. Like I just I, as much as I I love Trey Young, but he projects to be worse than Steph Curry on defense. And the Warriors made it work with an all time 
good defense around him with players like Andre Iguodala. Uh, Kevin Durant was a pretty amazing defender when he was there. Of course, they had Clay and then Defensive Player of the Year, Draymond. So, I mean, if you have a worse defender, Trey Young, I just I worry about what the Hawks are going to be able to do just generally there. So we'll see. I hope I hope you're right and that they have an even greater degree of success. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and with that, uh, I'd like to close out this episode. Uh, just one final shout out before uh, before we call this episode uh, on, on Christmas Day, the NBA did play uh, says did play several games, but they uh, we, we lost a, a huge contributor to the NBA game in general. And that is that is Casey Jones. Uh, he died on Christmas Day and just uh, a couple of highlights of his of his illustrious NBA career. Quite frankly, he eight time NBA champ champion before that he was a two time NCAA champion with the University of San Francisco, got his number 25 retired by the Boston Celtics. Uh, he was also a two-time NBA champion as an assistant coach, uh, both with the, with the Los Angeles Lakers, and then he was a two-time NBA champion as a head coach with the, with the Boston Celtics. Uh, so he, he's, a, he's a guy who's given his career to the NBA. Definitely one, uh, one of the reasons why the NBA is the league what it is league that it is today one of one of the pioneers uh early pioneers of the league and uh and and sad that he he passed uh passed yesterday at the age of 88 from alzheimer's disease so uh, casey jones one of the one of the better um, people in, in the nba one of the pioneers of our league pa- passing away just wanted to give him a shout out before we ended this episode um yeah a big part absolutely. of the Celtic family yeah, definitely a big a big part of the Celtics and their dynasty in, in the '80s. A black head coach back then, you know, must have been. It definitely was a barrier to cross, and he not only crossed it, but he 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 was very he was a very very good head coach. He was also a five time five time All NBA All Star Game head coach from and in 1975, and then from 1984 to 87. So definitely a ton of success. Uh, he also had a sixty-four uh, percent winning winning percentage. So, prop, props to him, and uh, yeah, thanks to him for a great career. So, with that, I would like to end this episode and wish you guys a very very happy New Year. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We are going to continue to give you guys episodes into twenty twenty one, and uh, hope you guys can continue to listen and continue to give your feedback. We love your feedback. So, thank you so much, and uh, take care.